fantastic. So we're going to dive in this morning to Daniel and look at this next chapter. Uh, this is the story of the famous story that many uh, hearing in Sunday school and uh, many of you heard in the different churches you attended growing up. If you didn't uh, attend any church and if this is all new for you, then you know what? You have a slight advantage in some. You've heard the story many times because you can get a fresh take on it. And that's the whole point of this is to be able to read it and see its application to us today in a fresh new way. So um, let's dive into chapter three and read that together. Uh, this one is the last one. Remember last week was forever when we read through all that. It's a lot of verses. Uh, this one's a little, a little easier. Uh, let me pull this up and move my screen over here. All right, chapter three, verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He summoned about 90 feet high and nine feet wide. Uh, no scholar believes that that's actually the way it was designed because that's just wouldn't really hold up very easily. But in any event, the point is the, the, the point the authors make is this was massive. That's the point. Uh, it was a huge statue meant to draw attention to itself. Um, he summoned the satraps, perfects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all of the provincial officials to come dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, perfects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set. And they stood before it. Then the herald proclaimed, or the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language. Well, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the horn, flutes, either lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down <clears throat> and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flutes, either lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and the peoples of every language fell down in gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. Some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, <clears throat> who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar commanded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or summoned, excuse me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve or worship the image of gold I have set up? 
Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. If you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, then God, we serve, is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, to know your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them in the blazing furnace. So these men wearing robes, trousers, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace so hot, the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three tied fell into the blazing furnace. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, leaped his feet in amazement. He asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. Four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, perfects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not the smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses will be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego <clears throat> in the province of Babylon. Now, it's quite a story and quite a long story again, but um, it's one that has to be read to get a sense of what the storyteller is trying to do and what he's trying to communicate. All right. So the first thing, um, is do you notice any similarity between this chapter and the previous? Remember last week? What was last week's talk on? It was on the, the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, right? Remember the dream that he has that Daniel interprets? And what is it that King Nebuchadnezzar dreams about? He dreams about an image, right? And the image, the statue, is a head of gold. Arms and chest of silver, belly of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron mixed with clay. Comes and crushes all of it. And what's the interpretation? The interpretation is 
hey, you're that head of gold, but there's another empire that's going to come and that's going to destroy your empire. <laughs> and then after that, there's going to become another one that's going to destroy that one. And then on there's a stone that isn't an empire that's cut out, that's not cut out by the hands of any human. It's not been engineered. It's not been refined. It's not been perfected. It's not been, it's that of, which essentially is saying is going to be that is both human and divine. It has, it is very earthy, very human, not this pure gold thing. And somehow that's going to come and crush all of the kingdoms. Eventually, that would be the kingdom of through and influenced by average people like you and may not by kings and, and people of, of, trait of great power. Right? So what does King Nebuchadnezzar do? Next chapter, this chapter. He makes a statue, an image that looks like himself. Interesting. <laughs> a, king, a, a, a statue that resembles in some parts, now this is not, but I believe that the author, the storyteller is, is doing this uh, deliberately. That immediately the next chapter is that of King Nebuchadnezzar sets up a statue. But this one is covered in gold. It's not that the entire thing is gold. And I believe that what's happening here is that King Nebuchadnezzar, this is my take on this, is King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar is essentially uh, deciding that he's going to set this image and this image is covered in gold and it is his own ego that's gotten the best of him and he wants to uh, have an empire and a kingdom that is greater, that is greater than even what was in the dream. I mean, you can imagine, as it was always troubling to me when I would read chapter two and I'd hear that, you know, Daniel tells him, yeah, you're the head of gold, but then there's going to come a, a, an empire that's going to wipe you out. It's going to be greater than you. And then after that, there's going to come another one and then another one. And then finally, there's going to be a human stone, a stone that's, you know, not nothing divine, nothing, nothing, you know, amazing or impressive about it that's going to come and it's going to crush all of that. And, and Nebuchadnezzar goes, that's fantastic, Daniel. Thanks for that interpretation. I'm going to make you, you know, great in that always, that always confounded me. Like that would have struck me as, well, that's not exactly great news to hear that my empire is going to not last very long. Like every king who's ever been in charge in the ancient world wanted their kingdom to last. It to be, <clears throat> I mean, you think their way of thinking about, about eternity in the ancient world was of that of their continuing to exist in their progeny. In other words, the legacy goes on. So history and their, 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 what they're going to, their progeny, that whole continuum for the ancient world was, this is how you live forever. This is how you continue on for generations. We've lost that. For us as very individuals, very much about us, not in the ancient world, in terms of I'm the son of so-and-so, right? This is why it's very, that's the way they introduce themselves, the son of so-and-so. Many of their names were Ben this, which is the, Hebrew term son of, um, and they, and then their, their descendants, that was huge. Having many children, that was the blessing. That was the idea is that that's what makes you rich. That's what makes you go on and live on and your legacy continues. And so for you as a king to hear your kingdom's going to get wiped out, like flattened. And another one's going to come in there. It's not what you wanted to hear. 
And so you can imagine in the moment of humility, King Nebuchadnezzar goes, and you see this play, this play happen throughout. Nebuchadnezzar is like this. He has moments of great, great humility, great arrogance. <laughs> this, is, this is the king you're dealing with in this, you know, at this time. And, uh, and then that, and, you know, in the last chapter, he had a moment of great humility. Like, okay. You know, you, you, you told you so clearly you're hearing from, you know, from God. And, uh, and so he's able to receive that. But then over time, here's what happens with great power. Folks, with great power, there is, it is almost impossible for you to not become more consumed with yourself, more uh, into yourself, more into your own needs and meeting those needs. And oftentimes that sets you up for absolute failure about having absolute power. It, is, it, it, it shields you from the truth. It shields you from your own growth your own opportunity for growth. Because what causes you to grow? Difficulty, right? How many of you here just grow without, I grow best without any struggles. Like it's great when there's no resistance. Then I just perpetually grow and challenge myself and develop and become the person I need to be. No, 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 none of us do. We do so because we've run into a wall ourselves, right? What happens when you have all power? You never have to face that. Everything is, you're shielded from a lot of that. You're shielded from pain, difficulty, and you're shielded from truth. Nice to you that sadly people like, you know, people that in, in the church world that I grew up reading and admiring. You know, I think I can say the name and, and if not, we, we might edit that later, but Ravi Zacharias. I've heard of Ravi Zacharias. I read his works, man. I followed that dude. Dude, he was my man back, you know, a back a while ago. And, uh, <clears throat> and then accusations came out. And the whole entire system did what? They defended him. That's what systems do. Kingdoms do that. Family systems do that. They defended him. They protected him. Now they're apologizing. It's true. And what, what happens to someone like him, someone who started off, I'm sure, with great intentions and with great desire to do something good in the world, right? We hear this over and over again. City of a large church. I mean, we can go on and on and on with all of these stories. It's what happens when we are surrounded by systems that enable us. Folks, this is not just about, I hope you hear me, this is not just about people in power. This is about me. In what ways do we shield ourselves? Do we have people in our world who will enable us and keep us going, you know, without ever having to deal with the truth of who we are? And because we have that luxury, off people who we don't like because maybe they said something that hurt us and we can surround ourselves in echo chambers with people who will only confirm and affirm the things that we already think and want and believe and then we set up ourselves for not necessarily a blowout like the illustrations here, like King Nebuchadnezzar, who just goes off the hook and just says, I'm going to make an image and I want you to worship it. And it is a reflection of moi. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's the blowout that happens to it doesn't always show up that way. It shows up in all sorts of different ways. 
Now I've talked to you, I've confessed to you as a church, like my struggle with needing change, needing to always chase something new. And there were those who around me who challenged me occasionally. A deaf ear to them because I had the ability to do so. And thus it led me into some making some decisions that today I look back on and I regret. Right? These are things that happen all the time. And so Nebuchadnezzar sets up a system and he's this, this image of gold. And he does not want his kingdom to end. He wants his kingdom to go on. He wants everybody to worship him of all nations, of all people, of all tribes, all tongues. He wants them all to bow down. And so then what happens? Well, there's these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And for them, they say, ah, that's, we can't do that. We can't do that. In good faith, we cannot do that. And yet the pressure is overwhelming. All of these other people are doing so, even other Jews like themselves. And they are struggling with this decision. If we don't think that they're struggling with this decision, folks, we are, we are looking in a, in a way that scripture does not invite us to look at it. It, lo- it calls you and me to be in it. The whole thing of the storyteller is for you to enter the story and play a part in it. What would that be like for you if you were one of those guys? The amount of knowing that if I do this, this will cost me. And so this is what they decide to do. We're going to have to do it because it is so bad what's happening here. Now, please not speak up. This is the way the story was, the way I understood the story when I was growing up. And I want to contrast it to what I believe is really going on here. When I was growing up, the story was this. Now, this is probably not your story, but this is the way I grew up. You are, we, we are the people who are those representative Jews as good evangelical conservative Christians. We're the in people. We're those Jews. Then there's secular America. And secular America, that's Nebuchadnezzar. That's all that stuff. And so we're not going to bow to the idols of secularism. And so they want us to teach evolution in school and, you know, everywhere. We won't believe that. We fight against that. That's secularism. They want to teach that, you know, um, they want to, they, 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 they want us to believe this, or they want us to, they want us to believe that, you know, liberals have to what they're saying, you know, liberals are all wrong. And so, you know, that's secularism and that's, that's the idols we don't bow to. And mainline churches, they're all the ones who have bowed to that idol. But we're not going to do that. Right? There's no skin back by doing that. This, this is not the story of King Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is about them being in the system, being part of it, and actually having tolerated hundreds and hundreds of things that they have liked being a Jew in Babylon. But they recognize that this is also part of their own growth, being in the system and having to be challenged by it and being stretched and being uncomfortable, falling in love with the people around them and wanting to serve them at their best. And that is what I believe is the spirit of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The reason why I can say that is because the spirit of the entire scripture is that of loving God and loving your neighbor, no matter where you are. 
And Jeremiah would speak about this, this, this time frame. And Jeremiah himself says to the people that were going into Babylon, I want you to actually love the people around you. I want you to plant vineyards. I want you to act like you're. I want you to grow and prosper because as you prosper and grow, so will the nation. And they would have said, no, we want them to suffer because they've, they've abused us. And Jeremiah says, that's not the spirit. That's not the spirit of God. That's not the spirit of God. Uh, of, of, of God's heart. It's not, it's not love. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe, are people that love the people they lead, the people that they're in relationship with, and they love the king. But they also see that there are things that the king that are detrimental. They're so bad. And he actually names it because this issue of idolatry, of worshiping the image, he knows of how sick that is to the system. It will not only be them to bow to this, it'll be bad for King Nebuchadnezzar himself to go on without ever being challenged by the truth that his own ego, his own arrogance has taken off and will cause his own destruction. Greater heart of God. So you know that this sickness is actually affecting everyone, not just you. Now, let me just pause for a second, and say something parenthetical here. Some of us may think, oh, so does this mean I'm, I'm going to be speaking truth and error? <laughs> no, this is not about that. <laughs> Jesus himself says, hey, de de deal with the plank in your own eye before you start meddling around with people's speck, uh, the speck in their eyes. Don't do that. Deal with your own stuff. A good way to test whether you should be speaking the truth about something or not. If it's about your own comfort, it's not the truth. <laughs> if it's about your own control, of not truth. In other words, if someone changes and it makes you feel better, it's probably not the truth. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what they're doing and challenging is not about their own personal comfort. This has nothing to do with that. It would be just as easy for them to bow, just like everybody else. But by actually speaking up the truth, speaking the truth, they know this is going to cost them. This is going to be profoundly painful to them. And if and even if, um, you know, the, the system itself were uh, to say, well, you know what? Yeah, we 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 hear you. Dan. We hear you, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And you know what? You don't have to bow. You don't. Have um, even if they had done that, I believe that these three boys would not have been satisfied because this was about, I see a sickness in the system that starts in the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar, but it affects the entire known world so bad. This is why idolatry is considered one of the top sins is because of what it does in terms of damage to the people who are part of that system. Right. And so Truth. They do what they need to do, and they stand even when everybody else is bowed. And King Nebuchadnezzar gives them a chance, and I love their response to him. They say, "You know, be with you, King." But here's the thing: God, our God, can and will save us from your hand. But even if He doesn't. We won't do it. What's that? 
Do you notice that? Like, even if he doesn't, if, if you've read that and it has an effect on you, it, it, that's great because it has an effect on me and it always has. There's something about that that pulls me in. I don't know. I've like, why does that, why does that draw me? Why is that both troubling in some sense? I wish they would have just stopped. And on one hand, I wish they would have just stopped at our God is able to deliver us and he will. Boom, done, period. We're going into this fire and we're going to win. I wish that was the case, but it isn't. There's this moment of like, even if he doesn't, even if God doesn't, which is possible that God may not save my skin in this, in this situation, I will do the right thing. I will do the thing towards you and towards others. And it will cost me. And if it does cost me, I'm still doing it. That's true faith, my friends. I, I used to think faith was, they should have said, God will save us and that's it, period. Boom, done. It's like faith. But as I press into this, this is deeper faith. This is one in which even if God doesn't, I know this is still the right thing to do. Even if God doesn't save my skin, even if I have to suffer at your hand, this is the best thing to do. That, that descends down into the belly. That's like at the core of my being, I know that this is the right thing to do. You ever have those moments or at the core of your being, you just know. You know that you know that you know this is the this is the truly loving thing to do. And it's hard. And so <clears throat> they do. They they stand, they say, well, we're not. They get a second chance and they still stand. So they're bound up. And they're thrown into the fire. And there's some, certainly there's some exaggeration. With every one of these ancient stories, there's a lot of exaggeration. The point is, don't get caught up on the details. Don't get caught up on how in the world would that have happened or could this have happened? These are up on that. These are storytellers and they're not trying to relay absolute facts with us. What they're trying to do is get the truth that's underneath all this, please, because this is the greater truth that will change your life if you listen to it and you hear it. So this is what happens is the, the and they don't die. And instead, there's another one that joins them. And it's the son, as he calls it, the son of the gods. <laughs> and I love it because this is the part that touches my heart and comforts me of the storm in the midst of the fire. When we walk in truth, it does not mean that we won't suffer. In this case, these three were protected from suffering. But this is not the point that the Jewish the writer is trying to convey. Like you'll always because they suffered. <laughs> the, the Jewish nation suffered a ton. So it's not like he's saying you won't suffer. You will. You will. But there's something about the protection that even while you're suffering, you're still somehow held. And those of us who know this through some really deep waters at times, we have suffered at, 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 in ways that were unimaginable. And yet, if you remember those moments of suffering, there was also these tender, protective moments where your soul was held, where your heart, you were loved, where you knew that God was with you. And this is the beauty of when you walk in truth, when you walk in love, is you will be held that there's always another that is with you. And you're not alone in the midst of the fire. And that's what they discover. 
I think of family systems and church systems and political systems. And I think, you know, this is, this happens all the time. I had a friend uh, who told me, you know, Joel, um, he came a year ago, about a year ago and said, you know, I, I had to, to told me this whole story. He's a brand new guy to, uh, to our work at the art of growth. And, and, uh, he said, you know, I, um, I was on addicted for years. I did a lot of bad things. Um, and the reason why is because I've been trying to be a peacekeeper and peacemaker in my home for so long. And I just swallowed everything. And, you know, I just kept everybody together and, and, um, and eventually I popped, I couldn't do it anymore. And he said that, you know, his mom was the, was the uh, uh, control freak and one that just um, seemed to have a lot of narcissism, all the attention and the kids, were, I think there were four or five of them, uh, they all just played their role in the family system. Um, and, uh, and he said, you know, he would get, he'd go, he'd have these binges, you know, just go off and do drugs. And the family would, would help him try to take, try to help solve his problems. And, and so he would get off of drugs and then, but then back into drugs. And, uh, and he said, you know, the family was, was okay with me doing these. I mean, not okay, but like, as long as the problem was something that was part, still part of the system, meaning that I wasn't challenging anything in the, the way things were being done. I just, I just kept falling and into clean. And then, but as long as the family system wasn't threatened, that everybody played their role, that was, uh, I, that was, I could just continue going on along with what was happening and they would accept me and they would take me back. But then, I, you know, I, I can't do this anymore, that there's something really wrong here. And he dared to speak up. And when he spoke up, he was ostracized by his whole family. And he said to me, you know, the most painful thing is that my mom won't talk. It's not that my mom won't talk to me. As painful as that is, I can't, you know, I can't even reach out. She will not take my call. She said, even the siblings, my brothers and sisters will not speak to me. One of them secretly said to me, you know, I wish I could come to your kids' birthday parties. Kids, I wish I could come. But if I did, I would also be ostracized from the family. So I can't do that. And he lives to this day with this tremendous pain. But all the while, he's also finally emerging. And he's growing past the addiction and through the addiction and starting to live a life of true peace. But it's cost him. And many of us can relate to that. I share that story because I know that many of you have had the same different people, different family members, different details, but very similar that it has cost you to do things, to speak up. <clears throat> to actually go against the system that you know is sick. It's sick. It's sick for the people that are themselves are at the top of the system. It's not good for anyone. No one, no one succeeds, even if they look like they're succeeding at the top by using control, by, you know, by let, by, by uh, things that, that they want to do and affecting other people. They themselves live in the hell of their own making. The true, the, the greatest freedom we have is freedom from, not from controls outside, 
from our own lusts, from our own ways of, of self-destruction, freedom from our own addictions, our own habits, our own freedom from that. That's the greatest freedom. And sometimes when you have to speak up and you system, that's what you're doing. You're confronting something like that. And it'll cost it. It'll cost you. But sometimes the most loving thing to say is, no, I can't do this. It's the most loving thing to say. I won't. I can't. Because it's affecting you. And so the, 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 the challenge this morning for all of us is to speak the truth in love. To sometimes have to say, situation, and, you know, it's not you have to go digging or looking for this. You just have to open your eyes. You'll see. You'll see. You'll see the situations in which you're a part of enabling something. You know, or you're the one who's being enabled. Where, listen, folks, I'm, a Neb- I'm Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm also Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> None of us are one or the other. We are all both of those at all times. We're sometimes satraps and the, and the perfects and the, the governors, the ones that expose people who are against the system, who dare to speak up against it. Sometimes we're a part of that. So we have to look at what ways am I both in which there's been people that have been saying things to me and I'm not listening. And in what ways am I enabling and I'm not speaking up against a system that is sick, that is making me sick and it's making my family sick. It's making the people that I love and care about sick. And that's, that's the challenge, right? That's the, that's the idol we have to say no to. We have to say, I'm sorry, I can't do this. And I have to speak up and I have to, do so in a very loving, humble way. You know, it's not, it's more of this is the this is the boundary. This is the loving thing I have to do. And I don't want to because I know how it's going to affect you and I know what cost it's going to be to me, but I'm I'm going to do it. And so I would invite us to uh to think about that. If there's nothing that emerges for you right now that comes up for you, great. Don't go Like, I have to find it. I have to find it. No, you don't have to. You don't have to. Allow allow spirit to open your eyes, to wake. It's ready. But now that you've heard this, when the week progresses and something emerges for you or pops for you, just say, okay, spirit, what do you want me to see here? In what way do you want me to grow? And, uh, And you'll see it. And there'll be those moments and it'll be un- undeniable to you. <laughs> this is what I have to do. And the reason why I know this is what I have to do is because I don't want to. Everything in me says, no, 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 don't do it. If you're too eager to do it, there's a good chance it's a thing to do. But if you have this dr- tremendous resistance, like, oh, this is going to be heavy. This is going to cost me something. Um, it might be the thing that you have to think about. You might be the thing that you have to ask spirit to enable you to do and to confront for the sake of the kingdom of God, the people that are all around you, the people that you love. And so with that, let's transition to a time of worship and uh, just open our hearts. See if there's anything uh, for us during this time. As Joel was reading that, he referred for a moment to when Jeremiah the prophet, he's telling people, or God's telling people what to do since they're in the captivity. 
oftentimes people quote Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper you and not harm you. But the beginning of that chapter, 29, it says this is the text of the letter of the prophet Jeremiah from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar has carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I say to you, to those uh, who I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce, have sons and daughters. Just says, it goes on and on, just build a life. Because wherever you are, God will allow you to build a life, be faithful in that space. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May you experience a space for you to experience the God of hope. May you accept this invitation by the Holy Spirit to receive all joy and peace as you are guided into prayer, reflection, and discovery. May you walk in trust and your cup overflow. May hope in God begin to bubble up in you now. Amen. Go soak in some of that sunshine. <laughs>